Hello and welcome back to this bonus episode of Eldritch Girl. This is a really exciting one because this is kind of not a bonus episode. It's actually the chronological sequel to The Day We Ate Grandad, which is available now and it's called The Sussex Fretzel Massacre. Um, and I wrote it because I just wanted to see what would happen about a year or so later or just, you know, when the when Ricky's kind of really settled, he's got his feet right under the table, he's like just chilled out and he's just at home, you know. Um, so this is actually set in 2020. For context, The Day We Ate Grandad takes place in 2019, um, I think, because The Crows is 2018. Um, and then 13th is January 2019, and The Day We Ate Grandad is that same year. So this is Halloween 2020 um, that the Sussex Fretzel Massacre takes place in. So we've already had the big lockdowns and everything. I don't think Ricky really noticed when we had the lockdowns in the UK. <laughs> he doesn't go anywhere anyway. Oh, more time to spend in the house. Perfect. <laughs> this was inspired by a three-parter called Stag which um, is available on UK Prime I think and it was I was just watching that and I was watching Ready or Not, Samara Weaving and a few other things and I just I just wanted to write something fun and I kind of hyper focused on it and then it ended up as a little novella that I just put out but this is your novella bonus I guess. Don't take it too seriously this is just a bit of fun. So the Sussex Fretzel Massacre. <laughs> Um, the tagline is eat the rich <laughs> let's see this is where we meet um, Ollie for the first time so in terms of content warnings the Sussex Fretzel Massacre contains potentially triggering material as does everything I write while I've done my best to list everything that I could find here there may be thematically triggering material in this book as well not mentioned because I don't know what would trigger you um, but the general list is as follows that I could think of that would be like the main ones potentially people um, so there is anxiety the main character has uh, anxiety and is trying to manage that in various ways and um, there's bullying and verbal abuse of an employee there is head injury gore brief attempted sexual assault which is the main one um, which doesn't actually become sexual assault um, there's drug and alcohol use, cannibalism and coerced unwitting cannibalism. As a content note rather than a content warning, there is consensual sex swinging cuckold kink, but where not everybody is entirely happy about it. So there's that, those sorts of dynamics as well. Also, rich people die if that's going to bother you. They're probably, I don't, I don't mention the fact that they're Tories, but they're probably Tories. So yeah, so there we go. <laughs> this, is, this is how it goes. Welcome to the Sussex Fretzel Massacre. Ollie. Driver, say, driver, this isn't the way to Brighton. The man Ollie knew as Freddie Halstead waved his phone in the air. We're miles out. This isn't the right shortcut. Driver, are you listening? Peace is an ocean, a beautiful ocean of soothing waves, and you are paddling in the shallows. Ollie Wilson hated these kinds of jobs. They were worse than the ones where you had to clean puke and coke off the seats. There's nowhere to turn right now, sir. This wasn't exactly true, but Ollie wasn't used to country roads in the dark, and he'd already passed two turning places. His hands gripped the wheels, slippery with sweat. Nowhere to turn? Freddy gestured at the road, his mood and volume buoyed by the champagne fueling the journey. There's plenty of space. Who hired this clot? Paul? Paul, it was you, wasn't it? You booked us a duff driver. 
He caught Ollie trying to hold back his stress tears in the mirror and snorted. Oh, come on, it's a joke. Now be a good man and turn the car around and get us back on the motorway or the A road or whatever they have out here and find us some civilization. there's a good chap. Ollie focused on the Sussex country road in front of him, the sat-nav telling him he was screwed. There was a town coming up in a few more miles, but it wasn't anywhere near Brighton. Up until now, Freddy had ordered him to ignore the automated voice telling him to turn around, the way he'd ordered Ollie to drive past the services without filling up the tank, even though he'd made Ollie do three detours that meant he was running low on petrol and threatened twice to have him fired. Now, apparently, Freddy was on the sat-nav side. Since Freddy's father was a shareholder in most of the places Ollie could get another job, he'd not been firm enough in his protests. Now they were running on fumes, and he knew the emergency can was not going to get them to Brighton. He thought this would be an easy job, driving a few of Britain's brightest and best to a political party conference with their ambitious girlfriends had sounded straightforward. He hadn't expected one to have a knife he periodically snapped in and out of his otherwise innocuous keyring, or another one to have his gun club stuff with him. One of the girls, improbably called Bunty, which surely had to be a nickname, leaned forwards, long manicured fingers gripping the side of Freddy's seat. You told him to go this way, darling. Freddy swivelled back to her, toying with his Swiss army knife. Do be quiet, Bunce. Bunty sat back, folding her arms. Paul, the one under whom the booking had been made, groaned. Don't start, or we'll never get there. How far is it from here? The slow, slurred drawl came from the back, where a blonde girl with the figure of a catwalk model was slumped against the gun nut, presumably her boyfriend. This was Olivia... Olivia something, Olivia somebody, Ollie couldn't recall the surname even though he was sure her father was somebody famous, or had been back in the day. Ollie had asked if he had a licence for the handgun and the rifles in the boot, but he just laughed in Ollie's face, dumped his bag on Ollie's foot and got in the car. The list said his name was Algernon Donovan, but the others called him Dono. Perhaps we ought to hijack the car, Dono said, casually reaching into his jacket. When he pulled out his pistol, Bunty gave a delighted little shriek. Paul glared over his shoulder. Jesus, Dono. It's all legal, Dono draws, smirking. Just bant, Henderson, don't be so uptight. Put that thing away. Paul straightened his own dinner jacket with a nervous toss of his head. It had better not be loaded. Of course it's loaded, Henders. Dono leaned forward, letting Liv slump sideways like a limp blonde doll. What's the point of a pistol if it doesn't have any bullets in it? Driver, why are we slowing down? We'll be late for the conference dinner. Freddy raised his voice over whatever weak protestations Paul was coming up with. Ollie commiserated. It wasn't as if he had managed to protest any better. The red warning light, though, was about to make any and all protestations moot. Even Freddy Halstead couldn't bully an empty tank into running on fuel it didn't have. Ollie took a deep breath in from his diaphragm, like the CD said, and counted for two. He exhaled for two and readjusted his grip on the wheel. We're out of petrol. Freddy scoffed. What? You should have let him fill up at the services, Paul said, snapping attention to Freddy. Dono was putting his pistol away so he could shove Liv against the door. He saw Bunty rolling her eyes in the mirror. Oh, Paul, you know we were running late as it was. Yes, Bunce, we were running late because you girlies took too long to get ready. Girlies? Bunty mouthed back at Liv and Dono, who smirked. Liv groaned. Are we there? Liv doesn't even want to go to the conference, Bunty said, glancing between Freddy and Paul. We can go to the hotel first, can't we? The conference, Paul said slowly, as if to a child, is at the hotel. Well, I didn't know that. Well, we did tell you about a hundred times. Where are we? Liv demanded, in her slow, slurred drawl. Can't you tell him to hurry up a bit? We're turning around, Freddy said confidently. Any minute now he's going to find us somewhere to turn, aren't you, driver? 
It was not a suggestion. Ollie turned into a handy lay-by, hazards flashing. Sir, I'm just going to fill the tank with emergency petrol. Ah, well, they apparently do think of some things, Paul sat back. And that's enough to get us to Brighton, is it? Ollie couldn't commit to this. Apologies for the inconvenience. He slid out, practising his breathing. You are in a soothing, calm place. You can hear the waves lapping on the beach. The sky is a beautiful mix of amber and rose. He started filling the tank and heard the back door open. I say, there's a house not far from here. Freddy was in the middle of the road in his tux, although it was getting dark and there were no lights. Ollie glanced over his shoulder nervously, but he couldn't hear any other cars. Look! I have to ask you to get back in the car, please, sir, Ollie called over, trying not to spill the can. Freddy ignored him. Dono! Dono, doesn't your uncle have a place around here? Ollie's heart plummeted as the gunnut got out too in his equally dark dinner jacket. Sir, please, that's not Uncle Tippy's place. No idea where we are. He can't have said Tippy, Ollie thought. Sir, can you please stay by the... I need a slash anyway. Driver, take us over there and we'll see who's home. There's a hedgerow, right? Ollie started and was cut off. A hedgerow? Dono fixed him with a glare that Ollie was glad it was almost too gloomy to see. He dribbled the last of the petrol over the tyre by mistake and able to concentrate. Dono came towards him and Ollie couldn't think about anything except the pistol in his jacket. He barely came up to Dono's chest. Do you see this suit? Ollie nodded, the petrol can clattering against the car's paintwork. He realised his hand was shaking. Do you see these shoes? Dono leaned in until Ollie could smell the champagne on his breath. Do you? Yes, I see them. His tone was obviously not what Dono wanted to hear because his eyebrows shot up and he leaned a fraction closer. You see them, do you? Yes, I, I see them, sir. Ollie tried to remember the next lines of that stupid CD and got nothing but the white noise of panic. He tried not to show it, looking anywhere but Dono's face, which was now blocking most of his field of vision. Dono moved back a little. These shoes, he said quietly, cost more than this car. Ollie frowned. I don't... These shoes, Dono repeated, cost more than it cost to hire you, obviously. Obviously, I didn't mean the actual car, you tit. Ollie's throat was too tight to swallow. No, sir, he cleared his throat, his voice squeaking cracked. No, sir, obviously. Do you really think I'm going to stand in the muddy grass, dressed like this, Dono gestured at himself, and have a piss in the road, like an animal, like some kind of pervert? He blinked, and Ollie was drawn to his glazed blue eyes, cold as steel. Is that what you do? Is that what you like to do, Oscar? Ollie glanced at his name badge. Ollie. Dono shook his head. A dangerous, silky quality had crept into his voice. Do you want to see my cock? Is that what it is? Ollie winced, everything in him tense to the point of pain. Oh, Dono, let him get back in the car, Freddy said, apparently bored of standing in the road. He can take us to that house over there and we'll get our bearings. It's about dinner time. We could see if they're the hospitable sort. Dono pulled back. Get back in the car, he said. Ollie didn't think his legs would obey, but he stood his ground. After you, sir. Dono gave him one more look up and down and smirked and finally got back in the car. Ollie's knees buckled. He dropped the can and caught himself before he went, already framing his resignation email in his mind. I don't have to do this again. I could just drop them off and leave without them. They'd deny everything, and he'd be painted as a nutter, and he'd never get another driving job, and honestly, he wouldn't give a shit. Feel the sand between your toes. Feel the water washing over your feet, swirling around your ankles, and gently pulling the stress away. Just breathe. 
Ollie forced himself to pick up the can and close the petrol cap, and got back into the driver's seat, tuning out Paul's complaints about how long this was taking. He needed to graduate to the assertiveness CD, but probably that should wait until he'd learned how to control his fucking anxiety first. In fairness, one of them had a knife and the other had a load of actual guns. There didn't seem to be a better option than the isolated house Freddie had glimpsed further down the road, and once there, maybe he could call his boss in private and see whether they could send another driver, or another car, or something, anything, a helicopter, he didn't care. His stomach complained. Maybe they'd spare a packet of crisps the rest of the journey or direct him to the nearest town. At any rate, then, these brightest and best would soon be someone else's problem. Ricky It was a cloudy, blustery night, the kind when the air had a wild, salty bite to it, and the afternoon showers left the ground damp hours later. It was what he thought Brillig probably meant. He'd been reading more poetry lately. The Pendlestone liked rhymes. I've already seen it. Five deaths are due. I wouldn't be long, he said, trying one final time, if you changed your mind. I haven't changed my mind. You set one foot outside and you can take your stuff with you. I mean it. He ached to test her, the lure almost physically painful. The weather made him want to rip himself out of his skin. This was the last blue moon of the year, on All Hallows' Eve no less, and his last chance to see his own future until the next one. He had foreseen death tonight, five deaths, and all the omens pointed to the coming of strangers. It made sense to find them and put them out of their misery quickly so that he'd have one good sacrifice of the ritual. On the other hand, she meant exactly what she said. He also knew that she knew he wasn't going anywhere, no matter how much he wanted to. She knew he'd choose her. That didn't feel fair, but he didn't mind. He ought to mind. You feel the pull? he asked. The pendlestone, the hearthstone under her stove in the kitchen, was pulsating with energy tonight. He didn't dare touch it, although the initials of his ancestors were scored deep around its central fissure. I could siphon that off if I had the right... No! Not like that. We agreed. Ricky sighed. Worth a shot. I can't blame a man for trying. He pulled his hands out of his pockets and slouched closer to the panelled wall. The wood was warm under his touch, warm as skin, and if he pressed his whole palm on it, he could almost feel the swell of phantom breath. He leaned his shaved head against it too, rubbing gently, accent broadening into his gruff version of his grandmother's rural Sussex dialect. "'Come on, love. Don't you be upset.' He stroked the wood until he felt her reluctantly relent. "'You ain't really cross.' A coil bulged inside him, straining against his skin and leaving small, livid tears behind as it subsided. "'It does hurt, though. Won't lie.' "'Oh, Ricky.' The house sighed around him, soothing him, leaving him relaxed. He kept one hand on the wood and rubbed the sorest place around his ribs with the other. "'Got an idea.' He stroked the wood one more time and stepped away. You and me, tonight, your choice of anything. I don't mind what we do. The house coalesced all the vibes and personalities of its various rooms and spaces, letting the personality and image of its last, late owner take the lead. Ricky smiled as her face pushed through the polished oak, followed by the rest of her. He looked her up and down as she emerged, heavy wood grains slowly paling under a layer of plaster that spread over her like an acid pool. Close enough? she asked. He smiled. You don't have to do anything special. She smiled back, a mannequin face with few lines, and naturally smooth and glossy. Beautiful. Ricky took a step back and appraised her. Like when the moon hits you and the attic window gleams, you know. She couldn't blush, but her stance went coy. Shut up. I want to watch a film. Is that okay? Said it was. 
And could we play a game? Ricky raised an eyebrow. What sort of game? Cards? No cheating. Ricky snorted. I can't help knowing what the cards are before you turn them over. She stroked the puckered scar tissue at the back of his head, sending tingles across his skin. It parted, tendrils dribbling out over the edges, looping around her wrists and tasting her forearms. A medley of wood varnish, paint and plaster, all deliciously familiar, crossed his taste buds. She wrapped her arms loosely around his neck, cool and firm as the banister rail, restricted by his disgorged coils. Fine, let me win, he smirked involuntarily. Where's the fun in that? Carrie looked him dead in the eye, her eyebrow a perfect Norman arch. You said we can do what I want. Just keeping you happy, murmured. It had been over two years since she first did this, and he was used to it now, but tonight it made things squirm in his chest. She was no closer than she usually was, but he was acutely aware of her lack of breath, the delicate craze of porcelain cracks over the glazed cheeks, the way shadows moved behind her windowpane irises. He was hoping for a kiss on the cheek, he liked that, and he liked the way her forehead felt against his, but he liked the build-up to it just as much. She kissed him on the cheek and he couldn't help but smile, savouring the soft chill of pleasure. Go on, his coils released her. Go pick something. In the end, after some deliberation, she chose a film he hadn't heard of and he struggled through the first third without really following the plot. The snacks she'd made were long gone, but he couldn't remember finishing them or what they tasted like, except for the remainder of salt on his tongue. She was stroking his stomach, cuddled comfortably into his side with her head on his chest, the fire lit and most of his head blissfully quiet, but he wasn't used to films and TV, even now, and wasn't properly concentrating. He thought he'd better make an effort. Wait a minute. She sat up and hit pause as if she'd been expecting this, which was a bit unfair, and he raised an eyebrow to mirror hers. What? So this guy, he pointed at the screen, is the same one from the start, but different. And we're supposed to believe that, that what's-his-name, their version of my Uncle Barry, the science guy, right, has managed this transformation sort of thing with the stuff he volunteered for. Carrie kept her finger above the play button. Yeah. So now he's got a job basically doing what Cousin Sasha does, right? Prancing about on stage, just minus the tutu? Carrie sighed. Yeah, he's like a propaganda mascot right now. Ricky frowned. What the fuck for? What do you mean? Is this a war or something? Carrie stared at him. Do you think they're just... She stopped. Yeah, mate. It's 1942. It's World War Two. Ricky stared at her. That started in 1939. Yeah, but he's American. They didn't join until the 40s. Why were they so fucking late? He watched her trying to figure out an answer when someone knocked on the door. Carrie hopped off the sofa. Oh, thank God. A quickening thrill of something raced down his spine and thickened in his gut. All good things come to he who waits, he muttered, and she pointedly ignored him, making for the door. He raised his voice. Yeah, no offence, but better put your face on, love. She paused, concentrating, and went from mannequin and mixed media to the woman he'd met before her fatal brain aneurysm, albeit fresher and less tired. He gave her a nod. That would do. He turned off the TV as soon as she left the room. Carrie. Carrie paused at the door. Something was wrong. It wasn't anyone they knew. She could feel the presence of an unknown car. She'd left the gates unlocked and the weight of it on her gravel was different to any car her friends drove. She found herself not wanting to use her voice. Ricky? Ricky, come here a sec. He came up, frowning. What's up, love? 
She fought the fear, her human emotion that came from her old singular flesh self, and made her freeze up. There was no need to breathe any more, and she forced herself not to try. Her ribs creaked, a mix of sixteenth to eighteenth century timber. I don't know them. I don't... I don't like this. The feel of it. She couldn't explain it. The man knocking the door had sent shudders through the wood, and they resonated inside the avatar with a chill of dread. I don't... How do I look? Ricky cocked his head and studied her. He leaned in and smoothed a rough bit of plaster on her collarbone with his thumb until it looked more like skin, and stepped back. He matched her low tone, though he had no reason to. Perfect. Are you just saying that? Her façade, the porch, the front door itself, were deeply concerned about first impressions, and filtering that anxiety back into her with fierce urgency. Even I wouldn't tell. Are we leaving them outside, or...? He could tell there was something wrong, but he didn't seem to share her nervousness. The bell rang angrily, demanding attention. Carrie jumped. It was a part of her, that bell, and in life Carrie had chosen it for the lovely, rich sound it made, but the man outside made it sound like a summons, rather than an announcement. I'm doing this, then. Ricky rolled his shoulders back for her benefit, giving her a cocky smirk. Should I put my signet rings back on? Carrie shook herself. Are you sure I look okay? Mistress... He leaned in and kissed her on the cheek. You look perfect. Go sit down. Carrie hesitated. He gave her a firm nudge, moving her out of the way. Five do you to die. She didn't want to welcome in the doomed and the damned. The last thing she needed was blood all over the walls. Ricky misinterpreted her reticence. They can't hurt either of us. Remember that. She nodded. It was odd not needing to swallow when that instinct came to her naturally. Her throat still bobbed and his eyes flickered to it briefly, not missing any slight movement. He gave her a reassuring nod. See? Perfect. She wished she shared his confidence. Retreating further back down the passage to the kitchen, she camouflaged herself against the panels and focused on what her outer eyes could see, each pane of glass a view out into the dark driveway. Ricky opened the door part of the way and squarely blocked it, one hand firmly on the jam and the other on the handle. Carrie studied the visitor, a symmetrically featured young man in black tie, fit and tall, his chestnut hair a crisply gelled nest of bedhead curls. He reminded her unpleasantly of the ex-boyfriend she'd left in life. Ricky, on the other hand, was in the grey sweatpants she'd bought him from the market last year, along with a grubby off-white vest he insisted he was going to wash any day now, and still hadn't bothered. He'd not quite lost the depression weight from earlier in the year, but had settled into a comfortable plateau, which was much better than the gauntness of the first few months after his ascension. Eldritch God or not, her money was squarely on Ricky ripping this guy's head off with his bare hands. Watch her, mate, he said. Fairwood House forgot it couldn't wince. Everything creaked. Ricky gave the door a slight pat. The house pulled its consciousness back again into its avatar form, not sure what it was that was making her so anxious, in time to hear the visitor's response. "'I say, who lives here?' Ricky adjusted his stance a fraction. "'Me, as it happens,' he paused. "'If you're here for trick-or-treat, you might get a nasty surprise. If you're here for trade, you go round the side.' He jerked his head, perfectly serious, and eyed the man's waist. "'But if you're selling cummerbunds, you're shit out of luck if that's a sample.' There was a frosty pause. The man's nostrils flared. I'm sure you don't want any trouble, and I certainly won't mention that little joke of yours, but my friends and I need to use your facilities, if you'd be so kind. The end of his sentence trailed off as if the next move was obvious and guaranteed. Carrie covered her mouth and couldn't move. You're right, the facilities are mine. 
Ricky said slowly, after a frosty pause of his own. Not so sure you peg me right as the kind sort. Come on now, this is getting silly. Who do you work for? Carrie smothered a shrill snort and screwed her eyes shut. Ricky let the silence ride longer this time. I'm what they call a freelance consultant, he said eventually, not budging. And if you want to use my facilities, you'll have to ask a little nicer than that. He stroked the wood of the door. The mistress and I was having a quiet night in, and she don't want visitors tonight. She were very clear about it. And that would be your mother, I suppose. The the young man inhaled slowly through his nose, evidently coming to terms with this image. Lady of the house. Do I look like I live with my bleeding mother? Ricky demanded. The man had taken a step back, which Carrie took as a small victory. Whatever his reply was, it was drowned out by a slender brunette bouncing up the steps in ankle-breaking heels and catching hold of his arm. "'Oh, Freddy, what's taking so long? Did you explain about Liv?' She turned to Ricky, who was nonplussed by the two halves of material making up her dress, and misinterpreted his sweeping appraisal as an invitation to be flirtatious. Carrie clamped both hands over her mouth. "'Liv's our friend. She's really not very well. Could we please come in just for a moment? We're in a bit of a hurry, you see. We're already very late, and the driver's got us terribly lost, and we just want to freshen up and get our bearings, and we'll be on our way in no time, and honestly, no trouble. I'm Bunty.' She extended a hand, which Ricky cautiously took for the briefest of shakes, where Bunty appeared to exert no pressure on his hand whatsoever. "'This is Freddy, and I'm so sorry, but I didn't catch your name.' "'Richard,' Ricky said, as though half-hypnotised, and Carrie decided enough was enough. Ricky Porter was a number of things, but he wasn't equipped to deal with the Bunties of the world. She came forwards and wrapped her arms around his waist to remind him she was there. "'Who's this, darling?' Ricky shook himself and cleared his throat. "'I have no fucking idea.' We just wanted to... Freddy began, but Carrie cut him off. How many of you are there? Carrie rested her chin on Ricky's shoulder, looking beyond Bunty and Freddy to the gleaming luxury car with tinted windows parked on her drive. Five, Bunty said. So, four and the driver? Oh, well, six, then. Carrie decided she didn't like Bunty. Did I hear you say one of you was unwell? Liv, Olivia, she just needs a rest, I think. Carrie sighed. All right, but you can't stay the night. Ricky gave her a sideways look. Thought you said no visitors. There's the willows they can stay at if they've a mind. Off the next roundabout and left. He sniffed. You heard the old girl. We ain't a hotel. Five minutes, Carrie said, against her better judgment. She couldn't help it. The entrance hall had teamed up with a dining room, longing for the admission of upper-class visitors, remembering bygone days of parties and dancing on All Hallows' Eve. Ricky eyed her, not moving. "'You don't have to change your mind,' he said. "'We won't outstay our welcome,' Bunty promised, clicking through the door as soon as it inched wider, and she waved a hand at the car. "'It's such a beautiful home.' That line was rehearsed, a well-practised politeness delivered flatly, and Freddy reluctantly echoed it in the same well-mannered way. They had obviously seen better, bigger, more modernised, better refurbished, and Carrie started to panic. She gripped Ricky's arm, digging her fingers into his bicep, and he grunted with pained surprise. She let him go. Five's a good number for tonight. Seen it. Very what's it. Auspicious. Absolutely not. They never see me coming. I said no. I promised I wouldn't go out looking, so they come to me. The right number plus one. What do you call that? Fate. That's fate. Ricky, I swear to God. All right, all right. Understood. Don't be like that. 
He was better practised now at giving people something they understood, like when Carrie's still-living parents visited occasionally. But when he put his arm around her waist this time, it was for her benefit, not theirs. There, see? Not touching them. Good as gold. Carrie kept close to him, wondering why this unexpected interruption to their evening had pulled every alarm bell she had. This feels like a mistake. Ricky gave her a slight squeeze. How about dinner? Awfully nice of you. Another young man, a cookie-cutter version of the first, but with black hair, large wild eyes and a paler complexion, strode by them. Love to have a bite if it's not too much of a bother. The driver should come with a bag cinema. Just want to change, since we'll be too late for the black tie. That won't be a problem, will it? Donovan, by the way. He swept by, assessing the entrance hall, and turned with an outstretched hand. Algernon Donovan. Friends call me Dono. Mr. Donovan, Carrie said, as Ricky eyed the offered hand like he was going to snap it off. She took it first, and he adjusted his grip on her fingers, flipped it over and kissed her knuckles. His lips were cold and disconcertingly moist. You used to call me Mr. Porter, Ricky thought at her, as Algernon and Don O'Donovan released her. Was that because you thought I was that much of a twat? That was more affectionate later on, Carrie thought back. But also, yes. Cheeky mare. The sitting room's through there, Carrie told him, gesturing. Ricky rolled his eyes. Sitting room. Shit me. She elbowed him. The last three unexpected guests were less objectionable, although no less formally polite. Paul, Paul Henderson, so good of you, the third of the young men said, the stockier of the three, with an earnest expression and an ethereal blonde on his arm. We were off to a party conference and I was hoping and praying we would make the dinner, hoping and praying, but that ship sailed and we haven't had a decent meal since... Oh, this is Liv. Liv, darling, we'll just get you sat down. Is this Brighton? Liv, Olivia asked, blinking heavily, head lolling. Carrie was unpleasantly reminded of one of Ricky's mother's doll daughters, nailed to the furniture in Ricky's childhood home. Ricky had gone cold beside her as if he was thinking the same thing, and had already relegated Liv to a category that was less than human. Carrie stiffened. She's off limits too. I never said a word. I know you too well. She's not to be ritualised either. You're strict tonight. Next thing you'll be complaining about the animal entrails. I do complain about the animal entrails. He rolled his eyes. Take her through to the sitting room. He pronounced the words deliberately with a sideways glance at Carrie. Paul nodded. Thanks. Ah, here's the driver with our bags. Ozzie, can you be a good chap and just put them out of the way somewhere? Then we can get changed and you can find our way back on the right track. He shepherded Liv into the living room, and Carrie turned to see a nervous-looking guy about Ricky's height, but clearly not half as strong, wrestling matching designer suitcases up the steps. She went to help him. It's... it's Ollie, the driver said, cheeks as crimson as his uniform lapels. I'm really very sorry about this. I know how this must sound, but I'm out of petrol. They wouldn't... they didn't want me to stop earlier, and we're meant to be heading to Brighton. You ain't getting to Brighton this way, Ricky muttered, rubbing the top of his head. That's west. You need the A road. I know, Ollie almost wailed, trying to keep his voice down. He sounded close to tears. Is there a garage? I don't have enough to get them there, and I'm pretty sure I'm getting fired either way. Carrie hoisted the suitcases up the steps with ease and towed them into the larger dining room on the right of the entrance hall. Ollie hurried after her as Ricky watched with a deepening frown. Mate, do you want to give us a hand? Carrie prompted. Ricky rolled his eyes. How many more? Oh, sir, no, miss, it's fine, really. Carrie and Ricky, Carrie said, wincing. Not sir and miss. He can call me sir if he wants, Ricky muttered, and Carrie shot him a look. 
I'd actually rather they didn't bring all their bags in, Carrie said, but Ollie was looking behind her and his Adam's apple bobbed hard. Driver, where's all the bags? It was Donovan, and the wildness Carrie had clocked on his way in now struck her more as something dark and rabid, trussed up in an expensive tuxedo. You can't leave mine unattended, man. Come on, use your brain. He scoffed, looking Ricky up and down. I didn't get your names. Ricky looked through him. Love, why don't you see to dinner? I'll see to them. Dono didn't wait to find out what their names were. Dinner! That sounds great. Terrific. Thanks ever so. He went back into the living room and closed the door behind him as a shriek of Bunty's laughter and the punchline of Freddy's off-colour joke were mercifully muffled. Carrie didn't like the sound of that, but she also didn't want to be in the middle of the impromptu party making themselves at home in her walls as if they'd paid for the privilege, kicking off their shoes and making themselves at home. My dad left some good brandy, she muttered. Not that you'd know where it is, of course. Ricky feigned innocence. I'm sure I didn't notice, but I'll find it. Not for you. Ricky snorted. I'm hurt. He stopped. Hang on, why am I getting out your dad's best brandy if it's not for me? You're never offering it round. It's polite, Carrie hissed, lowering her voice. Why do you want to be polite? We're supposed to be getting rid of them. Carrie winced. I I don't know, it's just, it's what I'm built for. You have guests, you serve them. She stopped. Ricky, can you just deal with it, please? He shook his head and let out a long sigh. When I said I wanted to be the master, this isn't what I had in mind, I'll be honest. She gave him a peck on the cheek. With great power comes great responsibility. He narrowed his eyes suspiciously, not getting the reference. She patted his shoulder. Good luck. Ollie. Ollie spent ages on the phone to the local garages and his emergency number, but the best estimate was two hours, and the worst was the following day. Over the lockdown period earlier in the year, the firm had sold off a lot of its fleet, and that meant there were far fewer cars to replace this one, and some drivers were still furloughed. He went with the two-hour option from the nearest chain garage, which had links to his company, only to have them ring back and say someone had just rung in with a positive lateral flow test, and now there wasn't anyone on shift who could come out to tow it in. The upshot was, there wasn't going to be a replacement driver, there was no replacement car, and he couldn't get hold of anyone to bring in petrol. He could drive off without them and hope he made it to the nearest place where he could fill up, but they'd be bound to complain and twist it so that it was his fault, or say he'd abandoned them. He slipped into the living room, wondering how to break the news that there was no chance of going anywhere until the morning when a more experienced driver would be taking over, and he could stay with this car and get the petrol situation sorted to drive it back. The first thing he overheard was Liv and Bunty giggling in a horrified way about the scarring on the back of their host's head, which, now he was paying attention, was pretty bad. He must have been in a really bad accident or something, and he just knew someone was going to mention it. Otherwise, he was stocky, cocky and fit as... fit as someone who wouldn't look twice at Ollie, that was what. He ducked back out of the living room in a dizzy panic, but not before Freddy's voice cut across the conversation directed at Ricky with a pointed question about his scar tissue. Ollie nearly ran down the passage, where a grandfather clock ticked sonorously at the end and yelped as he nearly collided with Ricky's partner, he assumed, or wife, or possibly live-in life coach. You never knew with rich people. I'm so sorry, miss. I'm really sorry. I was just looking for... He had no idea what he was looking for, but I was just running away. He didn't make a lot of sense either. He took a breath. Cool sand. Sunset breeze. Lapping waves. Sorry, I was just going to ask you about taxis to somewhere else to get them a hotel or something. I can't do anything about the car until tomorrow. Would it be okay to park in the drive tonight or a lay-by? I can drive it off your grounds and into a lay-by. Is that better? I don't know what to do. 
It's Carrie, she said, and it's fine. She had the clearest grey eyes he'd ever seen. Her voice was calming, like a quiet symphony of boiling kettles and central heating pipes expanding in the walls, taps running into deep baths, the soft chime of a distant clock. Ollie's anxiety ebbed a little. Uh, they're, they're asking your, um, your boyfriend about his... He gestured at the back of his own head. I don't know these people. I've never met them before today. But they're not, um, not very tactful. He glanced down the passage. Neither is he. She clicked her tongue. I've got six chairs for the kitchen table. We'll eat ours together somewhere else, if that's not rude. Ollie's heart sank. You didn't have to. I know. Carrie led him down some steps and into a large kitchen, the central table laid with bread rolls and set with six places. Actually, I think I can fit seven. She brought a battered smaller chair from the utility room adjoining it. Used to be the servant's passage, she said, as Ollie tried not to be nosy. There was something intensely awkward about other people's washing machines and clothes errors, he always felt, as if he was spying on something intimate he shouldn't see. You don't have servants any more? Carrie snort laughed. I grew up on council estates in Hackney and Croydon. No, I don't. And he's not my boyfriend. He... It's a bit complicated. Ollie managed to smile. He recalled his first impression of the man introduced as Ricky, the sweatpants and swagger, strong sinewy arms, the firm-looking chest and slightly softer belly, which Ollie guessed was disguising a powerful core. He was like a lot of those strong-jawed, flint-eyed guys at the gym Ollie occasionally went to, who did their workouts in front of the mirrors and wouldn't give Ollie a second glance. The gay housemate? Carrie lost it. She doubled over with a hand smothering her giggles. Oh, my God! She gripped the back of a chair and forced herself to calm down in fits and starts of hysterics. Ollie couldn't help laughing, too. It was good to laugh like that, good-natured and infectious. So he's... he's not gay? And not your boyfriend? Ollie realised he was relaxed for the first time in hours. He warmed himself on the argo as she grinned at him. He's not really into anybody in that sort of way, but we're... We're something. It's not as conventional as that. Something about the way she said it clicked. Oh, Ollie nodded. Right, is this a more than friends, but not exclusive, not exactly lovers, not exactly not type of thing? Are you fishing? Carrie asked, grinning wider. Maybe. Ollie couldn't remember the last time he'd taken a punt with a girl, but this day had been thoroughly shitty and he didn't care if he'd get fired. He just wanted to stay in this kitchen where it was safe and warm and this pretty girl was making him feel better. He'd go bright red and run a mile if you asked him that. Carrie fetched a tureen of soup or some kind of fragrant herby stew and set it in the middle of the table. That's a shame. Ollie didn't mean to say that out loud. He looked down at his shoes, but she was still laughing and the atmosphere hadn't changed. Carrie shook her head. He doesn't intimidate you. Oh, he does. Ollie sidled closer to the table, noting the tureen wasn't quite straight on the trivet. But not as much as... Before he could mention Dono, the tureen burned his hand. She hadn't used oven gloves, so he assumed it was cool enough to touch, but as he went to adjust it, it burned his fingers. He sprang back, sucking them. Oh, she turned, concerned. Oh, are you okay? Sorry, I should have said it's hot. Ollie sucked his scalded fingers and then waved his hand in the air. Jesus, have you got asbestos hands or something? Carrie's smile froze. Um, something. Sorry. She ran the cold tap and waved him over. Here. He came around the table to thrust his hand under the cold water and Carrie gave him an apologetic shoulder pat as she passed to announce food was ready. He hoped she'd come back alone so he could warn her that Donna was a bully with a gun fetish and Freddy had a Swiss army knife. 
but she didn't. His passengers came in, gossiping and bickering, leaving him to turn the tap off and dry his hands. Ricky took his seat at the head of the table, very pointedly, just as Donno was about to sit there. Ollie couldn't help but notice how muscular Ricky's arms were when he rested them on the table, and he didn't look like he was in the mood to be questioned. Before he could grab a place, the seventh chair was pushed back as Liv and Paul took their seats, and Paul shifted a little too far over to replace it. Ollie swallowed. Um, sorry, could you, could you move down a little, please? The conversation stopped. Frankie and Donno stared at him without saying a word. Neither of them were laughing. Ollie was glad he was asking Paul and tried again. Sorry, it's just I can't fit the chair in here. Paul gave him an embarrassed, crooked smile. Well, he said, nudging the seventh place setting further over the edge of the table, why don't you take this over to the counter? There's plenty of space there. Ollie blinked. But there's a space right here. He looked at Liv, who had plenty of room to move her chair. If you just move up a bit, then Liv stared at him, not comprehending. She turned back to the table with a breathy laugh and shake of her head as if Ollie had done something inappropriate, like looking down her dress. Ollie's heart hammered in his throat. I'm sorry, I... Ricky leaned across the table and took a bread roll and served himself from the tureen without waiting for anyone else. Paul blinked at Ollie, still standing there like a lemon, and turned back to the food with an embarrassed chuckle. Ollie realised that Paul was embarrassed for him. For him. A knot tightened in his stomach. He picked up the placemat with a bowl and spoon before it got knocked towards the edge any more and made his way slowly to a space by the sink. As he turned to get the chair, Ricky scraped his own seat back on the flagstones and stood up. His jaw was clenched, his cheeks ruddy. For a wild moment, Ollie thought their host was going to tip the table over, Tureen and all, but he didn't. "'Tonight's the blue moon on All Hallows' Eve,' Ricky growled low and serious. Five are due to die tonight, and I made myself a promise not to eat with the dead any more.' He cast an eye at Ollie, who was sure he'd misheard. "'Fill your bowl and sup with me and the mistress.' It was Ollie's turn to blink. He did as he was told, and nobody stopped him. Even Donno looked rattled. Ollie leaned over and filled his bowl as much as he dared, grabbed a roll, and followed Ricky out. The conversation buzzed behind them as the kitchen door swung shut, as if he'd never been there, and that had never happened. And that was part one of the Sussex Fretzel Massacre. Part two, coming soon. Bye now. 